Today's podcast is brought to you by Blue Canary. The bird has landed on beautiful Bainbridge Island, conveniently located at 499 Madison Avenue. ASE Master Technician Clint Ramsey brings over 15 years of experience, award-winning diagnostic skill, and a desire to reinvent the automotive repair experience. Schedule an appointment online at bluecanary.biz or call them today at 206-451-4220. This segment of the Bystander Podcast is brought to you by Eagle Harbor Insurance. We don't sell insurance, we help people buy it. This has always been their motto and continues. They understand every family has different insurance needs, be it coverage or premiums. No two cases are the same, and they will always do their best to guide you into the proper coverage to fit your budget. They are here to help anytime. Give them a call at 206-842-7410 or contact them online at eagleharborinsurance.com. Our podcast is brought to you by That's a Sum Pizza. Using a 120-year-old starter from the Klondike Gold Rush, they make unique sourdough crusts that can't be found anywhere else in the world. That's a Sum Pizza also delivers wine and beer. Call 206-842-2292. Order online at thatsasum.com or download That's a Sum Pizza app on Android and iOS. Congratulations to the team of Alan Raymond and Will Grant, who brought home the first place trophy from the recent Caputo Cup at the Pizza and Pasta Show in Atlantic City. I got something for your mind, body, and soul. About two weeks ago, I accepted a settlement during mediation from the Archdiocese of Seattle for sexual abuse that happened to me about 57 years ago. I was abused by two different priests from Assumption Church and grade school. The settlement was nowhere near what I deserved. My attorneys told me that if we went to court, I could have gotten four to five times more. However, they told me that it could be up to two years before we get a court date. But I accepted what I was offered during mediation because I absolutely had to have this behind me. After all, it had gone back 55 plus years. 
The settlement I accepted allowed me to pay off my bills, but now I am broke again. I am telling you this story to tell all you parents and kids to feel free to talk to each other about an adult, trying to touch their penises or vaginas and breasts. I know that is not an easy thing to talk about. It takes a huge amount of trust between parents and kids. But there are are still a huge amount of sexual molesters roaming about, be that teachers, coaches, priests, etc. So please, take my word for it. It is still happening, and you can help stop it in your tracks. They use their power and bully persuasion to overwhelm you with their sinful desires. And now you're the one left feeling dirty and used while so many perpetrators walk this earth free. Let me say this. A person who adores and loves you would never violate you. Never. Instead of violation, they would protect. They would pray for you. They would honor your boundaries. But now they're strangling the life out of you. I only say that because I've walked the path of isolation and withdrawal. I actually spent almost six decades of my life keeping the sexual abuse a secret. An An untold story never heals, friend. Isolation only masks the problem. That's not living. It's existing. It's pushing stuff down that you hope stays submerged forever. Unfortunately, our stories have a way of coming out almost always in our actions. We end up hurting those we love. Some people become perpetrators because they never deal with getting better. Why do I have to suffer seemingly forever for something someone else did to me? Why can't I ever feel normal? Will I ever be able to enjoy sex? Yes, I have been able to have a very satisfactory heterosexual life. Why did my spouse have to suffer for something someone else did to me? My therapist says that's that I am still suffering from PTSD and may for life. Sexual abuse is devastating. It pulls the rug out from underneath your worth. It keeps you scared. It infiltrates nearly every area of your life, consciously and subconsciously. Sex between an adult and a child is sexual abuse. I don't feel there can be any sane difference of opinion about this. And yes, I was still a child at 10 and 11 years old. And because of what you did to my head through the trauma of performing sexual acts with you as a way to find some kind of love and acceptance, I remained a child for many more years where you were concerned. That allowed you to manipulate and control me beyond what I knew was right. But I was helpless to do anything but play the role you designed for me. I admit that I probably played it so well 
that you would be astounded, astounded to hear how I felt. I actually hated you almost as much as I hated myself for being with you. That's an example of why sexual, sexually abusing a child is never acceptable. An adult never knows what they are actually doing to a developing mind. That brings me to the core of your self-deception. You, no doubt, comfort yourself with the idea that if I was gay, then it was okay. Let's look at how twisted that is. If a child is coerced through whatever means, be it supple, subtle, cajoling, or violent force, to have sex with an adult, and that adult happens to be the gender to which that child would be attracted, do you think that makes the sexual abuse of that child okay? Can you truly believe that? That is one of the greatest insults to abuse victims everywhere I can imagine. It wouldn't matter if I was gay, straight, bisexual, asexual, or anything else. It's wrong to do what you did, and you know it. I don't feel like telling you all of the different ways I've suffered because of you. I don't wish to provide you with one iota of information about my life. I tell you, though, that I have suffered, and greatly. I will also tell you that without a doubt my life is better, richer in family and friends who love me than yours could ever be, because these people know all of me. Who can you say that about? How many people would really think the same of you if they knew what you did? No matter how you would like to try and color it, just imagine putting out the facts to your family on your next visit with them. That must be very lonely. Today, I write you this letter because the time has come to close this chapter in my life and to confront you with reality. You have sexually abused me when I was only 11 years old. You've abused a child that, like every other child, depends on an adult for his security. You've approached me with your lies and affection. You came as a friend and gave me your attention to create a relationship with me, a relationship that brought with it a lifelong destructive toll. When you invited me to your house, when you took sexually advantage of me, an 11-year-old child, you also destroyed a part of that child and a part of me. I grew up believing that when an adult gives me attention, they'll charge for it afterwards. You taught me that when a man gives affection to a boy, he will sexually abuse him afterwards. And you made me believe that it was natural, that it was normal and acceptable to all men to have sexual contact with children. How could I have thought otherwise if my first sexual experience was with you and an adult who took advantage of an innocent 11-year-old boy saying it was all perfectly natural. I'm going, to, I'm going to explain to you what were the consequences of your act 
so I don't have any doubts about the way you scared me. Because of you and what you did to me, I grew up believing I had no value, that I wasn't worthy of anyone's affection. I grew up believing that I deserved your abusive behavior, that I was the one to blame. With your lies and cunning words, you sowed in me guilt without end. I grew up disgusting, being disgusted with myself, feeling dirty as if I were to blame, as if I were to blame for your actions, as if I, a simple child, was the one who had sexually abused you, a poor, innocent man who was caught in the web of an 11-year-old sexual demon. That's how I felt for decades. I was the criminal. For decades, I was the one who kept a secret that protected you. I was afraid that those who loved me would say I was the abuser. The guilt, the disgust, and the shame were so paralyzing that I kept my mouth shut, bearing all of this in silence. But that ends today. I refuse to be a victim of a past that I couldn't escape. Today, I give you back everything you've given me, everything I didn't deserve and never asked for. Today, I return you the shame, your indecency, your guilt. None of it belongs to me. I only wish that you were both alive today. Today, I give you back the horrible, inhumane crime you've committed to an 11-year-old child so that you feel the weight of your actions for the rest of your life. The shame is finally yours half, yours to have. The shame is finally yours to have. Today, I break the silence and declare you guilty. The more you ignore sexual abuse, the more of a problem it's going to become. Abuse is not invisible. It is there if you know what to look for. Warning signs include unusual behavior, such as not wanting to be touched, your grades dropping, nightmares, withdrawing, fear in their eyes, sudden weight change, rebellious behavior. What would you do if your child told you that they were being sexually abused? Would you believe them? St statistics say one in three girls and one in four boys are molested at age 18, before the age of 18. Are you sure that your child does not want these statistics? It is important for kids to know about sexual abuse so it won't happen to them. If it does, they won't be scared to tell. Parents, talk to your kids and listen to your kids. We are asking you to talk to your kids about a topic that is not brought out in the open. Not drugs, not sex, not HIV, but, but child 
sexual abuse. It happens when least expected, and then the abuser is usually not a stranger. It is often someone your child knows and trusts. Teach your children about their bodies and what kinds of touching are okay. Tell them to come and talk to you about touching that is not okay and tell them you will believe them. Some, inter- some children are threatened not to tell you. Remember to tell your children that you will protect them and you will not be mad at them. Assure your kids that sexual abuse is not their fault. Grown-ups always know it is wrong to touch a child's private parts or tell them not to tell anyone. This is by far the toughest thing I've ever written. But I do it for the parents of our young kids. Please talk to them. Paul, thank you for sharing your letter. Um, Can you tell me a little bit about your childhood? You went to Lakeside School over in Seattle? Yeah, I did. It's out in the North End. Yeah. Private school. Yeah, I know it well. Um, what, what, What do you remember about Lakeside and your experiences there? Um, well, particularly sports. I got the award at graduation for the athlete of the year. And I was captain of two different teams, a basketball team and a baseball team, and also played football. So, All American sports, man, huh? Yeah. Um, you know, I didn't do all that well academically. I did pretty well on standardized tests like SATs, but as far as keeping my grades up, I didn't do very well. It's a tough school, yeah? Yeah. High expectations? Yeah. Um, and then where'd you go from after Lakeside? Well, I went to Whittier College down in the L.A. area for a while. And, um, <laughs> you know, uh, one of the school books I had at Whittier was the same book I'd had my sophomore year at Lakeside. <laughs> so that sort of told me that I was starting over. Um, so I quit going to college, and I... Uh, Got into the brokerage business. I went back yeah. to New York and worked for Smith Barney for a couple of years. And uh, I came back to Seattle. And in the, while I was in New York, Smith Barney had opened up a Seattle office. So I went to work for them here in Seattle. Uh, I was sort of in charge of the order room and trading and things. And... Um, After a couple of years, I looked around and saw all my friends were out having fun and playing around and going to school and things, so I quit doing that, and I moved down to Colorado to live with a girlfriend for a while, for a couple of years. She was going to school at Colorado College, and uh, then I moved back here, lived in Friday Harbor for a couple of years. And uh, then I got into the uh, municipal bond business when I was 30 years old. Wow. They still do that? Pardon me? The municipal bonds, is that still going on? Is that something that they trade? And Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, so I was a bond trader. I had a $20 million limit. And, um, you know, it was tough because, you know, you're stressed out overnight. You know, if yeah. you're long 20 million bonds, you know, you're worried about what the bond market's going to do the next morning. So Constantly checking numbers? 
Yeah. So I worked for four or five different firms during my career, and I retired about 12 years ago. And how long have you lived on the island? Uh, just about 30 years now. Hmm. So um, tell me a little bit about this um, Catholic school that you went to, and where is that located? Is, is it Catholic? Was that correct? Yeah, it was a Catholic school called Assumption out in the north end of Seattle. Um, like Northgate area or – uh yeah, just south of Wedgwood. Okay. Um, the Bryant area is what it's called. And uh, you know, the first few years I was there were okay. Um, I was never really all that excited by the nuns. Yeah. And Different I got time a back then. Steel ruler across the back of my hand a few times from them. So. I remember that. Uh, it wasn't just nuns that did that. <laughs> no, probably not. Uh, anyway, as time went on, I decided with a little pressure from my mother to try to be an altar boy. And um, so I went to altar boy class, and uh, the first time this happened, um, I was called into the— uh, I believe it's called the vestibule, where the priests change into their gowns and things. And, um, you know, that's when the first of the sexual abuse started. And this was by the pastor, a father named Father Philip. And um, as time went on, he... Uh, made excuses for me to come over to the priest's residence. And I was up in his bedroom, and he was um, trying to mess with me again. And then Father Arnold, who was much younger, came in and said, oh, here, I can take care of him. And so as time went on, over the next month or two at least, uh, Father Arnold had his way with me. On numerous occasions and um, it was really tough it still is I'm glad I got it behind me um, as I said in the letter I got a settlement from mediation several months ago now but my attorneys told me that if I had waited and gone to court I probably could have gotten five to ten times what I got in mediation but it was just something I had to have behind me they told me it could be two years before we could get a court case and I wanted it over considerably sooner than that when did you decide that it was it, enough was enough and that you had to accept this settlement when did I decide yeah what was the turning point well, we were in mediation. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but uh, mm -hmm. the other attorneys and the people they represent are in one room, and I'm in another room with their attorney, with my attorneys. And uh, the mediator runs back and forth between the rooms. And uh, at some point, my attorney said, Paul, this is the best you're going to get today. You can wait two years and we can get you more, but if you want to get it behind you, you got to settle today. I guess my question would be what what made what led up to the mediation process and because this happened quite some time and then yeah, approximately 58 years ago 
Yeah. And then when did the – you started a lawsuit, civil suit? Pardon me? A lawsuit, a civil suit? Is that what – Yeah. Started? And then you went into a mediation type situation? Yeah, it was about a year after we filed suit or maybe even longer than that before we got into a mediation session. Um, they'd made a couple of offers before that, but uh, nothing I was going to accept, so – so what happens now? Now, it's just something I got to live with the rest of my life. And you've been living for, with it for a long, long time, correct? Yeah. Something that's never gotten out of my head. But, you know, the more and more I read front page articles in the paper about sexual abuse, the more I decided I needed to come forward and hear my, have my story told also. Yeah. What, what do you hope will happen by telling the story? Well, I hope, as I mentioned in the letter I wrote to you, that um, parents are more willing to talk about sexual abuse with their children, that um, people aren't allowed to touch their penis or vagina or breasts. Um they got to put down the clamps, and if it happens, they got to get back and talk to their parents about it as soon as possible. I mean, it's a horrible, impossible subject to bring up with your parents, but, it, you know, the parents have to educate their kids that this may happen. Did you bring it up with your parents, and how did they respond? Pardon me? Did you bring it up with your parents, and how did they respond? No, I never did bring it up with my parents. I was scared to death, too. Is that because the the threats by the priests? Is that what scared you, or just the whole magnitude of what was going on? Uh, just what was going on. How do you feel about religion now? I'm very anti-religion. Um. You know, what those priests did to me is just absolutely unforgivable. And I wish they were both alive so that they could hear what I went through. Unfortunately, they both passed away by now. Um, What type of feelings did you have when this abuse was going on? Um, Did you see an exit? Did you see this going on and on and on? What kind of feelings were going going through you? Well, I dreaded every time they called me over to the priest's residence because I knew what was going to happen. And uh, after several months of this going on, I finally just put down my foot and said, no more of this or I'm going to go to my parents or the uh, head of the school and talk to them. After that, they let me. They let me go. That was the end of it, right there. Yeah, by just making they a felt threat, very threatened by saying that you would go public with it. Yeah. Um. How do you feel? They were thinking. You know, what are your thoughts on what their thoughts might have been? What What type of people did you view these monsters as? Well, at first, I thought they were the right hand of God. You know, I thought they were representing God and Jesus Christ. Um, 
But that changed in a hurry when this started. I could I knew it wasn't right what they were doing. Um, what kind of uh, it's hard to even come up with the questions to ask you about. Um, how do you see the manipulation evolving? You know, you were saying that the priest invited you to their residence. You know, in my mind, maybe that's that's a red flag right away uh, as a parent or as a person. What type of tricks do those predators use? What could we be on the defense? Well, I mean, they basically said they wanted to talk to me in private. So then they drug me into their living quarters and uh, went on from there. So maybe there's a warning sign that if you're a child that you always um, have somebody in your presence when another adult wants to talk to you privately. Yeah. That could be a defense mechanism. Yeah. I mean, every time they approached me to drag me over to their residence, scared me to death. I started shaking and had tears in my eyes. I could only imagine. How did this affect relationships for you in your adult life? How did it affect me in my adult life? Yes, relationship-wise with um, people. Um, Not really very seriously. I mean, I had a good, healthy, heterosexual sex life. Um, Though it's always in the back of my mind what had happened. And I thought that I had uh, spoken to my ex-wife about it one time, though she says I hadn't. But other than that, I just kept it wrapped up until I was, you know, 68 years old or 67 years old. Did you have nightmares? Uh, At times, yeah. In your letter, you talked about PSTD. Um, is that the correct, correct acronym? Um, post-traumatic syndrome? Yeah. Um, how does that affect you in, in your daily life now, still? That's a real good question. Um, it makes me uh, feel like I can't trust people especially people of authority. You know, it definitely affects my sleeping habits. Really hard to sleep? Are you always anticipating something happening? Or Yeah, I go to something I go to bed thinking about, especially the last couple of years since the thing started getting into the legal system. Does that just recraft the story in your mind over and over and over now that while you were going through this legal process? Was it something that was just constantly on your mind? Yeah, again? it was constantly on my mind. From the day I first met with an attorney in Seattle until the day I settled, it was on my mind every day, several times a day. And you suppressed these feelings for a long, long time. Yeah. How were you able to do that? Um, probably embarrassment, afraid to come out and say what had happened to me. I mean, it's a real personal thing. Yeah, absolutely. It's not something you just go around talking about. Oh, I appreciate you coming in and 
well, first writing the letter and then coming in here and talking about this uh, subject. It's very difficult to speak about. And I don't think the conversation happens enough. And you're definitely out there starting the conversation. And I'm thankful for you. Uh, I really appreciate you doing this. What kind of statistics do you know about sexual assault? How often does this occur? Is this a normal thing in everyday society? Is this a one-off? Well, from what I've read, one out of every four boys has had something happen to them. And one out of every three girls have had suffered from some kinds of abuse. Um, I mean, it's horrendous that it's that kind of a percentage, but those are the facts. Yeah, it's daunting. I was reading on rain.org, R-A-I-N-N.org, some statistics about it, and they said every 98 seconds an American is sexually assaulted. That That sounds right. So we've been on there for 15 minutes, you know, and seven or eight people have been abused while we've we've talked. Yeah. That's alarming. And the way we go about not talking about it, I think, perpetuates this situation. If we don't make it comfortable for kids to trust us as adults, if we don't put safeties and procedures in the activities that our kids participate in, whether it be altar boy, Cub Scouts, or whatever... Um, this is going to continue. And this conversation goes a long way to hopefully bring in awareness to people that this is not something you stick your head in the sand about. It's happening all around you. And I think in your letter you said most often it's somebody that the child knows. What's that? It's most often it's somebody the child knows. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, the child has to trust the perpetrator to begin with and it's whether it's a relative it could be an uncle it could be a father you know it could be a number of other people like priests or babysitters i don't know if people out there know but the la police department just arrested last week 551 people in a pedophile um, sting i hadn't heard that amazing amount of people and it was just like a clean sweep just picking them up easy as can be. And it's one of the first things that they've had like that in a long time because the resources for the police department aren't earmarked for that type of stuff. And if Americans get assaulted every 98 seconds, maybe we need to start putting our tax dollars towards fighting this with different task force. How do you feel about the policing of this type of stuff? Well, like you said, they're they're very underfunded as far as uh, pursuing the pedophiles. Um, It's something I think that they're becoming more and more aware of all the time. You see more of it in the newspaper about, well, somebody got arrested or somebody just settled another suit. Um, Yeah, the the rain— also said that six out of only six out of one thousand pedophiles go to jail, and that that's shocking. That's super shocking, and I think there's settlements. I think some of these pedophiles commit suicide. 
um, because of their embarrassment of being caught. But the system is definitely not putting any large percentage of these people behind bars. Yeah, that's right. Um, what kind of deterrent are we and message are we sending if these people aren't being imprisoned? Well, the Catholic Church has endless funds. Yeah, they they to, own uh, most of the property in America, right? Yeah, yeah. In, uh, in addition to Italy and a few other places, but they do have endless funds, and by making settlements like they did with me, it keeps their priests out of jail and keeps their names out of the newspaper. And uh, it's a real racket that they have going on. Well, Paul. Um is there some more things you would like to share about this story? Well, I'll read this from my letter. Let me say this. A person who adores and loves you would never, ever violate you. Never. Instead of violation, they would protect you. They would pray for you. They would honor your boundaries. I mean, that's really important, I think, for everybody to know, especially kids. Um, it's very well said. But now they're strangling the life out of you. I only say that because I walked the path of isolation and withdrawal. Actually, I spent almost six decades of my life keeping the sexual abuse secret. An untold story never heals, friend. Isolation only masks the problem. That's not living. It's existing. It's pushing down stuff that you would hope stays submerged forever. Unfortunately, our stories have a way of coming out, almost always in our actions. We end up hurting those we love. Some people become perpetrators because they never deal with getting better. Um, as, as far as anything else I say, I mean, I, I'm really upset that I in retrospect, that I took the settlement when I could have waited another year or two and gotten five to ten times what I did get. Um, that might have been a little hasty on my part, but as I said, I needed to have it behind me. So it was not as much the monetary, it was more of the moving past it, and it yeah. has already taken you a long time yep. to get to this point. Yes, what do you see in the future for yourself? Well, um, I don't know. I I would really like to have a relationship with a woman. It's been 10 years since I've even had a date with anybody. Um, so I'd like that to happen, even though I'm 68 years old. How can the women out there find you, Paul? Pardon me? How can the women out there find you? Um, that's a good question. They can come and knock on my door <laughs> anytime. <laughs> um, I don't know. I pretty much, uh, stay in my apartment and as I said, read and watch cable news all day. And so it's not as though I'm out really pursuing anyone. If you were to take a woman out, what would be your ideal date? Oh, probably going down to Cafe Nola and having a good steak. Shout out to Cafe Nola, Kevin and Whitney out there. You guys make great food. Yeah. So, ladies, let's let's look for Paul. 
needs a stake at NOLA for sure. I think he deserves it. Yeah. Paul, thank you for sharing your story. Yeah, you bet. Thank you for letting me get it out. I appreciate it. And I think a lot of other people appreciate it. Well, I hope so. All right. Take care, son. Thank you.